0: This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St. Heliers. Calamero is one of Auckland's best rated pizza shops and you can now order online at www.calamero.co.nz That is c-a-l-i-m-e-r-o.co.nz or just pop in and see us. It is Saturday the 15th of February 2020. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 72 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So we have a different type of podcast today, different for a couple of reasons. The first is that instead of talking about buying small pieces of big businesses on the stock market we're going to be talking about buying all of a small business privately. So basically, during the week, I was approached by Gemma Ross. She's the founder of spinach.co.nz. That's spinach as in the plant.co.nz. .co.nz. Spinach provides business loans for people that are looking to buy small businesses. And Gemma asked me if I would wanted to talk to what to look for when buying and selling businesses. We actually sat down and filmed this um, for Gemma's website, and we'll, we'll post the videos later. But after filming, I reckon we had some pretty good content for the Stock Market Movers podcast. The first reason is that, in my opinion, there is little difference between buying a company on the stock market and buying a small, a small business. They, you know, on, on both occasions, you're, you're buying a share of a business. The only major difference is obviously the owner involvement um, you know when you buy shares of of tourism holdings for example um, you 're not physically getting involved in the company um second reason is that I know a lot of you have an interest in in you know, you have a business interest in the stock market, so it's a fair assumption that you, you may already own your small business, but you've probably thought about it at some point as well. Gemma is also the first female voice that we've heard on the podcast, I believe, which is a shame, but it's also awesome at the same time. Um, Jolie Hodson from Spark has tentatively agreed to come on at some point, but I'm, I'm yet to hear back from her. If you could think of any other female guests you'd like to hear, then, then let me know. I'll, I'll do my best to get them on. Just a couple of comments about the audio. The audio is meant to be recorded for video um, so I've, I've pulled the audio from the video so there might be a couple of things that appear out of context in the audio that make sense in the video but you'll get the gist of it. Um, you can also watch it back later when I post it so I'll, I'll get the video out there later if there's something you really want to see again or if you just want to see our faces. Um, it is also recorded in two parts, first the sellers and then the buyers so I do get introduced twice but you'll get over that. Um, And apart from me being excited about being interviewed and constantly talking over Gemma, I I hope that there is some good content for you to enjoy. And head along to spinach.co.nz after listening. They have some great content and information there about buying businesses um, and the process of getting finance. So I do hope you enjoy this podcast.
1: I'm joined by Jeremy Medlin from Cliff McLeod Business Sales today. Um, The topic that we're going to cover is things that you need to consider when you are in business and what you can do to prepare to sell uh, years before the fact um, so that you can get the best purchase price and the quickest sale. So Jeremy, um, in your experience what sorts of things could business owners be doing now to think about that that big day?
0: So the most important thing that I think is, the key thing to remember is what you can verify is what you can sell. The biggest mistake that we see business owners making is they, they can't produce information quickly and easily. Mm. Um, so often it's, you know, it's, it's often basic things like GST receipts, financial accounts, running everything through the book so that it's a fair representation of what the business is. Mm. Basically every buyer that you meet is going to be nervous about buying your business and they're looking for reasons not to buy Mm. So it's important to be able to reproduce the information that I guess you would want if the situation is reversed. Mm. So oftentimes people just think providing the financial accounts is enough but then they have all this other data that could be really useful to the buyer such as sales information, different segments, what's selling, margins, across different products there's a whole raft of information that, that could be helpful to a, a, a buyer and it's important for lots of different reasons it's not just it's it's not just getting the buyer comfortable but maybe that buyer would need finance so then you're not just con- and this is where you come in i guess mm. but it's not just convincing the the buyer to purchase business it's convincing you have also got to convince the lender mm. so and the lender is not going to go see the business right no no so it's about painting that is good a picture as you possibly can for the lender as well mm. um, so it, it comes back to you can sell what you can verify that that's i'd say that's the most important thing and it's where a, a, a lot of people fail like i'll give you an example from from a personal experience is you can i remember a business where the owner produced the accounts and everything up front that was great and it wasn't until the due diligence period later on when the buyer requested individual sales information and all this 10 years of of data came out and i i, I said to him why was not this made available at the start it would have made my job just so much easier Yeah. You know? and a lot of times that information exists but people don't think to to produce it mm-hmm. so i see that that would be the, the the single most important thing is is providing a, a, a fair picture of the business that gives buyers a, a, a degree of yeah.
1: Be nice important thing. and and they're going to then take that information off to their accountant, and the accountant's going to comb through as well and justify it, exactly. The so price.
0: you know, like I mentioned, the finances there you need to convince, but it's also accountants and mm. lawyers. It's not just the individual buyer that you that you need to convince. And often the accountants they're not going to see the business, mm. so even if the purchaser has a good understanding of the business. Because they've been there, mm-hmm. the accountant needs to understand as well. So and they're the,
1: notoriously conservative. So exactly, looking, again, looking to, for reasons why it's not worth that purchase price.
0: Exactly, accountants and lawyers they don't care if you buy the business. Mm-hmm. They, they still get paid the fee, they, mm-hmm. and and they move on. They're not gonna they're not gonna want to take on any additional risk by telling you it's worth buying if they can see some risk. Mm-hmm. So you, you, it's really important as a seller to provide as much information as as you can. Mm-hmm. And going back for as long as you can as well because yeah. it sort of leads into something else we're going to talk to about, about durability yeah. and the, I guess, that the longer, and it's, it's a generalisation, but generally the longer a business has been running, the more likely it is to be able to continue running in the future. Yeah. And of course there's times where that's not true, you know, you think like video stores for example where they just disappeared overnight even, even if they've been operating for years, but in general the longer a business has been running, so information that goes back. Mm. For a long period of time is always important as well. Mm.
1: So aside from the um, the financial information, um, that obviously keeping it accurate and consistent from day one, or from today at least, um, and as
0: granular as possible as well. So yeah. you know if you can provide annual data, but monthly data, weekly data, as much as much as possible. You can't have too much information. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. So um, what other sorts of things? Um, we touched on some really cool ones about equipment and and, and various things so yeah
0: so there's there's, there's different parts to a, a, a business sale so obviously you mentioned the equipment which would be like the tangible assets mm-hmm. and then you've got the stock um and then you've got the difference the, the difference in the selling price between the tangible and um the difference between the selling price and the tangible assets is known as goodwill or intangible assets mm-hmm. so what you want to do is you want to have a business where there's systems and staff in place where that goodwill can easily be transferred to a new mm. owner, if that makes sense. So uh, there's, there's plenty of examples where that, where that goodwill can't be transferred over, and, and an example of that is we're essentially running our own business here as business brokers, mm. but I can't go sell that to you, myself, as a business broker, because there's, it's impossible for that goodwill to, to transfer over. So if you're selling a, a business, you want to ensure that ability to transfer over the goodwill and there's things that you can do to to increase the chances of doing that and getting good systems and, and, and everything in place is, is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in I'll, I'll give you an and the the better systems that you have and the easier the goodwill is to transfer over the, the broader your buy pool is. Yeah. So for example, I I'd there's certain businesses that I know are very, very good and but I wouldn't Feel comfortable with my south line. Mm. So if you think like an engineering company, it, it might be making might be making all the money in the world, but if you had to be a you know a, a, a qualified engineer to take over, then I wouldn't stand a chance in, in running it. Mm. But say if that same engineering company, if the person taking over could just run the company as a manager and have the qualified engineers under them, mm. then it suddenly increases your pool of bias. Mm. So having those systems in place can dramatically. And increase the ability to transfer over the goodwill mm. and the durability of the business. Mm. And that's the goodwill side of things, but then there's the equipment maintenance side as well, which yeah. we, we, which you spoke about earlier, and that's the, I guess, you know, you can, again, it can be making all the money in the world, but if a, if a buyer walks into the business and, and just looks around and, and sees that everything needs to be replaced. And suddenly they need to calculate that into their purchase price, yeah. into their offer price and it may, may become less attractive to them. So what what we're sort of saying here is everything that we're going back to is you're almost putting yourself in the shoes of the buyer. Yeah. You know you're, you're, you're inverting it and you're reversing it and you're putting yourself in the shoes of the buyer and just thinking what they would want in that situation. You've got to be careful with the equipment thing not to go overboard and not yeah. to over you You've got to be careful. Equipment is a, a, a really tough one because you want to, when you make your investments in equipment, yes, you should want to make it attractive to a buyer, but you don't want to waste money either. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's a big mistake. Yeah, and um,
1: we've seen instances where um, maintenance hasn't been up-kept up on, on equipment, and so a has bought, bought a business and then suddenly has to invest more money into um, upgrading the equipment. So, um, Jeremy made a point before we started the video about um, equally, you know, you need to maintain your equipment, but you don't want to over-capitalise it, go put new, everything, because it doesn't change the value
0: of the business. Exactly, and there's two two different types of equipment spends as well. There's the equipment spend that, and and they both get depreciated, but there's the equipment spend that you need to just run and maintain the business. Mm. You know, an example would be a a, a cafe with a fridge. Mm. They need, you you can't not have your fridge, but it's not going to generate you any extra money by investing in Mm. your fridge. So there's, there's that sort of equipment spend, and then there's the equipment spend where it might, generate you extra dollars. Mm. Um, so the return on investment for that equipment spend has got to be consideration as well. Okay. And an example for that, just for keeping it with a cafe, might be investing in a big flag outside that customers are gonna see. Mm. You know, that, that's probably gonna generate your return on your investment. So with the sale of the business, that the owner should put themselves in, in the buyer's shoes there as well. And if they can keep the equipment up to date so the new owner's gonna come in and not have to spend any extra money, mm. then that's gonna be attractive. And then also, if they can, and they just a, be careful not to overcapitalize and make sure that you're spending money on stuff that's going to produce you more money in the future. Mm
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's great that's really cool because um you know we 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 collaborate um on business sales and purchases from time to time and you do see people who are who are probably getting ready to sell maybe six months before and suddenly they start banking the cash or suddenly they're they're dealing with staff issues but really you know a couple of years out you really need to be thinking about your plan for that day so that there's consistent records, um, you've got systems in place that are easily transferable. Your business is not, is not dependent on the owner and their reputation um, creating the function of the business. It can transfer easily over to a new owner, which is, is really important, so, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And the other other part of that, transferring over easily to a new owner, oftentimes, I wouldn't say all businesses, but, a large percentage of businesses have a lease associated with them oh, as well. Yeah. So not that's not just retail food businesses, but that, you might be leasing a warehouse, you might be leasing an office mm-hmm. space. You, you, chances are you, you're leasing something. Mm-hmm. So where that lease is crucial to the operation of the business, and the example is a retail business, mm-hmm. that you know getting your ducks in a row in advance on the lease is, is really important. It's amazing how many times we, we rock up to a, a business owner, we say, how long have you got left on your lease? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, can you send us a copy? I don't have it. Yeah, you know, it, it actually affects the
1: finance side of it as well because really? yeah. Yeah, a lender's going to um, create a loan term shorter than the length of your lease. So if there's two years left, and then you need to get the, the full loan repaid before that date, and then that affects your servicing and how much you can borrow. So um, again, there's a thing that
0: Yeah, and it, it, it saves time in the sales process as well mm-hmm. because most of the time where the lease is important, There'll be will be date, Say it's 2022. Mm. Most of the time, the, the purchaser is going to want an extension to the lease, mm. and most of the time, the, we don't know if the landlord's going to give that. Yeah. So if you have that sorted out in advance, again, you're putting yourself in the shoes of the purchaser, and you know you got your lease sorted out in advance. Then, you know, it, it just makes the sales process so much easier. Mm. You know, and and that's that's the key thing is, is is putting yourself in the shoes of the purchaser for sure. Mm.
1: Yeah, and in some in some industries, you know, the, there are a number of businesses that that the buyers can choose from, and so the easier that you make it for them to buy your business, um, the it's like the, it's
0: like the CV for job recruiters, mm. you know, if. Yeah. if if you've ever done recruitment or anything like that, you have, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, um, where the, you know, you're sitting as a recruiter and you're thumbing through CVs, even if the person's great, most of them are terrible, right? Most of the CVs are terrible. They <laughs> are. So you're thumbing through and they're all bad, 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 and then the one that's well-formatted and good just stands out and that's the one you read. Yeah. And it's, and, and that essentially is a competitive landscape, right? Yeah. And it's the same with business sales. If you think that most people aren't doing this stuff, then mm-hmm. it's quite easy to make yourself stand out. Yeah. You know um, just on the intangible assets as well in terms of the lots of businesses that i see they might be running perfectly and everything like that but they haven't done basic simple things in terms of the intangible assets you know they haven't got themselves a good profile on google they haven't Mm. you know just really simple things that you can do these days quite easily yeah that that sort of stuff's not up to speed um and again that's easy stuff and it just helps build the build the picture for the business but it may, may you know it depends on the type of the business, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there's loads of folks thought for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm going to leave some contact information for Jeremy so that if you want to extend the conversation and figure out um, what you need to do to get started now, if that's the goal for your, for your business plan, um, then you can, you can go straight to him and pick his brains a bit more. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. No
0: worries. Cheers, Jeremy.
1: So I've got Jeremy Medlin from McLeod Business Sales with me again, and this time we're talking to people who are considering buying a business. It's a, it's a huge investment, and the, it comes with risk, and so Jeremy's got some pointers on things that you need to do in the early stages, things you need to start thinking about when you're looking at a business, and what to consider. So. Um, so I
0: saying. guess it's, you've got to know why you want to buy a business, and everyone, I guess, who's ever worked in a job has... Thought about it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think most of the time, at least from my own experience when I was younger, working in the jobs I first got out of school and university and everything like that, you're always sitting there thinking, oh, I can do this better than my boss. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's not, I don't think that, sh- and that's, that's a lot of people's motivations behind buying a business. Yeah. And I don't think that is enough of a reason. Yeah. You know, and just because you don't like the way your boss is doing things isn't necessarily a reason to run out and buy a business. Um, because once you see things from the boss's side, it's as really the boss, very, it's, a, it's a completely different, different game, <laughs> so and, it's you can un- and a lot of things make more sense, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Appearance. but you know, there's, there's the typical reasons, you know, you, you might not like your job, you've had enough of your job, you've, you, you might be searching for that financial independence, that's obviously a big one, mm-hmm. um, people Creative want violent, the yeah, I mean, you were speaking before, you're off to, were you were off to the zoo this afternoon, for example, you point. know.
1: Sometimes when you're on the phone with me, you are here elephants
0: in the background. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that might be harder to do if you're in a nine-to-five job, for example. Yeah. Whereas, you know, but it's saying that you might be working in the evening later on. Yeah, there you know, that does so come at, 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 yeah. at, at, there, there is that. Um, I guess there's uh, unlimited potential as well of owning the business. You know, mm-hmm. starting a limited company, you know, there's, there's no limit to... to it, you potential. Limited, but there's no limit to, to how, you know, earning potential. You know, yeah. Apple Computer started mm-hmm. in, a, in a garage as a limited company. You know, now it's the largest, largest publicly traded company in the world. Yeah,
1: so, as opposed to salary, where no matter how hard you work in a given day, you're capped by your salary band.
0: Exactly. And I guess that leads into the potential tax advantages as well. Mm-hmm. As you know, if, if you build up a, a valuable business, at least in New Zealand, and, and you sell it, it's unlikely that you're going to be taxed on a capital. Whereas if you're always getting paid a wage, then you're going to be constantly taxed mm. throughout your life. So there, there is that. I guess tax efficiency and then is that you know you get the opportunity to be your own boss. Like we mentioned, mm. you can do something that you're passionate about, and you can literally be your own boss. Mm. You can wake up in the morning, you can change the direction of your business, you can focus it in on, on what you're passionate about, and I guess that that can help you maximise the potential. You know, that's, I guess one of the reasons I, I've last few jobs I've been on commission-based roles because I sort of feel like that's the best way to, mm. you know, aside from business interests, that's it's the best way to sort of get what you're worth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so uh, you found your business, you've got your reasons sorted, and you found your business. Um, where do you start?
0: So the most important thing, and this is just my own views, you know, you can search many different, Clive McLeod's got some good documents we can send you over about buying businesses and everything as well but I think the most important thing is it's got to be in an area that you understand. understand yeah. and I don't mean just like understand like you could do an academic, you could study it and do an ac- mm. academic test and pass it I mean like deeply understand what the cash flows are going to be for you not for mm. the current business owner into the future Like, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you an, an example um, and this goes for any size of business like there's no way in the world no matter how profitable it was, no matter what price I was buying it at, that I would buy an Indian restaurant, for example. Mm. Just because I'd have, you know, the only Indian food I'd buy is like, the chicken, I wouldn't <laughs> know how to cook, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> you know, I, I just wouldn't know what to do. Or there's no way I would buy, like, a dentistry business. Yeah. Just because I'd have no idea, you know... Never worked
1: on dentistry. E- exactly, ever.
0: exactly. So it's got to be a business that you understand inside out. Mm. That's that's the most important thing. And the craziest mistake I see people make is that they... Go into something that's completely outside of your mm. sphere of um, knowledge.
1: Yeah, and that's what actually ties in well with the loan side of it because that's one of the there's like three key pillars um, when a lender's looking at you and that's one of them is actually have you're buying a cafe, have you ever worked a day in your life in hospitality? Do you know um yeah. you know about the ordering and the, and the staff management and how you know coffee and actually running the day to day um, to be able to manage it well, because um, yeah. you can take a, a fantastic manager and put it into a failing business, and they'll turn it around. And at the same time, you can take a really fantastic business, put a, a poor manager in, and they can they can turn that business around as well. So yeah. it, it doesn't
0: mean that you can't do well. Like there are amazing success stories of people going into mm. fields that they've never done before, but I can guarantee you that those people felt confident that they could do it. Yeah, you and know. probably worked
1: and, extremely hard to get that to work.
0: Exactly, and there's, it's di- it's difficult to measure that. It's mm. not like a, you know, it's not like it's a formula you can just figure out. Mm. But it, it, it's a really important thing, and that leads into other things about risk and everything like that mm. as well. Like you mentioned before about like doing your due diligence and understanding the competition and everything mm. like that. If it's in an area that you truly understand in detail, then a lot of that due diligence is already done. Yeah. you know, you you know what new products are coming if it's a technological space. For example because you're in the field you know if it's a food business you know the other competitors in the area and everything like that you already know yeah um and and that's the most important thing you know there's lots of stuff you won't understand when you when you first buy a business and a lot of it's you, you just have to learn on the job mm. um like if you've never done payroll before for example yeah. you know or if you've never dealt with a lease before you know and i guess that's where it comes into having you know lawyers and accountants to yeah. help you with that sort of thing there's a lot you. You won't know, but the basic economics of the business is is, is really important. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that that's the most important thing. In life. I could almost we could almost stop the tape. Yeah. Well, I know we've run down other stuff, but we could almost stop the stop the tape there yeah. in, in terms of the most important thing. Um, I think you need to have a basic understanding of accounting. Yeah. You know, there, there are you know great operators out there that have just passed it on to their accountants, and and they the everything just just run through the accounts and they just focus on the operations. i would say that is more rare than what people think it is mm. um i would say not having a basic understanding of accounting i think you know Zero's a a great product and everything like that mm. but i think sometimes people with zero and this is a generalization but <laughs> they they may um Not have as good understanding of the accounts as if they were going through the numbers themselves yeah you know when you if you just outsource it to a software then you don't understand it as in much detail as if you were going through and creating your own spreadsheet and figuring it out yeah you know like for example and i do that in my business as well i do do it all in a spreadsheet myself we don't use zero um not that zero is not a great product, it's just a preference. So, the basic understanding of an accountant is important. Like, if you can look back on the month, for example, and you, you know that your gross profit is lower or higher for some particular reason, then you're going to have a more of an understanding of your business. Mm-hmm. And that goes for buying it as well. You know, it's easy, it's a lot easier to figure out. So, many people just pass it on to their accountants, and you should do that, you should get advice. Yeah. but. It, 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 but Does, in the, the early stages not.
1: before you engage specialists, you need to have an understanding of what you're looking at and what you're buying. Um, exactly, and that comes back to the, to the first, stage. first point. Yeah, yeah, before you get to the stage that you actually have decided to buy it. Um, because if you're sending um, you know, if you're weighing up a couple of businesses and you're engaging specialists every time that's going to get expensive, you really need to have an understanding of what you're looking at before you before you engage.
0: Exactly. Them. And the key thing is not overpaying, mm. you know. Um, like a, a business, no matter how wonderful it is, no matter how much you understand it, no matter no matter how profitable it is, and everything like that, it's not worth an infinite price. Yeah. Um. And that that that's a, a really important thing as well. I think the key thing there is, it's not. I think it's paying a price where the business itself or the asset itself can generate your return. Yeah. Um. It's not. It's not just selling to someone else for more or assuming that there's going to be a market for it later on, because mm. that's just a case of like who be who, mm. you know. If I can sell my business that isn't worth much to you for more, then all I've done is 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 tricked you into buying a business that's worth more. Mm. Whereas if the asset itself produces produces you the return, oftentimes the sale price will take care of itself. But it's a whole lot less risky as well. Yeah. That I would say that's a a really important thing, and again, that comes back to understanding the business, understanding the future cash flow and durability from it as as you go into it. Yeah, and we've touched
1: on durability in the preparing your business for sale video, Um, and. Um, one thing one thing to consider that we talked about was how transferable um, the goodwill is. So are you buying a business of somebody who um, they're a local, they're on the tools themselves and they've built relationships with all the people and you have to go to John every time or are you buying something that's a brand and that you can just slot in neatly, it's got good systems in place, it's good everything's up and running and you're the new owner. So considering how, how durable the future income is of that of that business that you're looking at as well. And it, again it comes back to Jeremy's advice about understanding the industry as well and understanding um, what is that you're
0: buying. yeah and what would you say about making like a, a business plan do you think that's important
1: yeah that's that's another key thing particularly on the lending side um helping the lender to understand exactly you know your your understanding but also also your future goals and your business plan can be teamed up with the cash flow forecast and that's going to be um, tested by your accountant so you're going to work together to test your rationales and and produce something that lenders can understand because they like numbers in black and white, um, rather than, you know, oh I think this is gonna happen. You know, you've got your business plan which explains how you're gonna do it in your cash flow forecast, it shows that shows the outcome of that. Um but a business plan should actually be an ongoing thing uh year in, year out that shows what you it's kind of like your your map for, for what you're working on and how you're gonna get there it um, absolutely a
0: yeah, yeah I mean you, you did the lending for a small business I bought mm. um, and I wrote out a business plan but I was doing it as much for the knowing that it was going to a lender as mm. much as it was for myself it's almost like a um, a fact checker almost like the business plan wasn't going to make sense to me and i wasn't trying to dress it up to make sense to a lender i was trying to make it make sense for me yeah to test your own rationale so lender's
1: not going to get in their car and drive down and have a look at your the business and and go and talk to people and see what they you know what what the neighbor down the road thinks is happening in the area it's got it that comes down to testing out you and your rationale
0: i'd say another thing just quickly um is patience Mm. you know you there's a, there's a classic thing in you know real estate sales and housing yeah. sales that you should look at at what a hundred houses or something yeah, like that yeah. and, or whatever it is and there there is a degree of fact in that in, in business sales as well. Quite often I'll you know you you've got you got to stay patient with things. Like you might look at a few businesses and just not find one that's right, and then lose patience and just buy one. Yeah, don't get emotional. A- exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, need, I need to get this done. I, yeah. I've got the money sitting there, and I'm, I, I'm going to be a business owner. It has to stack up all of the advice that Jeremy's given you. Do you understand it? Do the numbers stack up? Are you paying the right price for it? Do, are you passionate about the product or service? Um, all of those things come together, and once once all of those things are in a line, it will have a view quite easily. Um, and if you have to force it or if you've overlooked one of those really important things, it's gonna be really hard and it actually will come back to you later.
0: Oftentimes though, this will it's maybe not the advice I'd, I'd give on should give on camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. Like if you truly understand what you're looking at, oftentimes you'll just know. Yeah. You know, you'll you'll know very early on that it's a business that you're capable of doing. Yeah. And then from that point on it's just fact checking. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: It, and mitigating like things that aren't quite right for you now but that you know you can overcome um,
0: exactly yeah um, if, if you know it's almost as if you're going and knowing what you don't like you can quickly eliminate the you know if you if you pitch me a business right now i reckon i'd know within 30 seconds if i wanted to find out more or not yeah. you know and, and you should have that degree of knowledge going into it as well yeah um but in saying that it's not as intimidating as what it's made out to be a lot of people you know they, they come to me and, they, and they're scared of making an offer Mm. You know they've never done it before, and I get it, but it's not actually as intimidating as, mm. as, as what you think it is in terms of getting it on paper, getting the protections in the contract and stuff, so your lawyer and accountant can check it. It's at, we've we've made it sound like incredibly hard right now, <laughs> but it's actually most of the time it's a it's a simple process. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then eventually once you're at that point, that's when you check in your know, specialists, your lawyers, your accountants, and get that you know financial advisor, get your get your team around you, checking out what you've been reviewing and make sure that, you know, that you haven't missed anything. Yeah. Cool. That was easy. (laughs) Pretty painless. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, Again, I'm going to leave some contact information for him so that if you want to get started, um, you can just reach out to him directly and pick his brains. Cheers, Jeremy. Thanks very much. Thank
0: you, Jeremy. Right, many thanks again for listening to the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the content. I know it's a bit different to you know what we normally do um thanks to Gemma for approaching me during the week um if you've forgotten her how to get in touch with her go to spinach.co.nz they really do have a, a, a a great website that's spinach as in the the food you eat um as a reminder that nothing that we said today should be considered financial advice. Um, find out more about the podcast at nz, or find us and search on Facebook. Um I'll be posting the video of the interview on Facebook later on as well. Make sure also to share it with your friends. You can email me at Jeremy at nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode seventy-two of the Stock Market Movers Podcast for Saturday, the 15th of February, 2020. We'll see you all again next week.